Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Talking Sense. This is a three-part podcast on pricing strategies with Brett Davidson of FP Advance and was recorded as part of our development program as a workshop for our Sense advisors. Brett gives an overview of the options for charging models for an advisory firm and looks at model development as part of your overall proposition. You can find the first webinar in full for free on our website along with other proposition-related learning material. And if you're interested in learning more about how Sense can help support your advisory business, go to sense-network.co.uk. For now, though, on with the podcast. Uh, so welcome back, everyone. Uh, yeah, we've got uh, a really, really interesting session uh, this afternoon, uh, matching price to value. And we're going to look at a range of different ways that you can charge. Uh, some of them, yeah, some of them will be really uh, interesting. Some are just a bit of fun. Uh, and others you'll be thinking, yeah, I could I could probably do something with that for some of the segments I work in. So um, before we get cracking, um, look, I just I mentioned the freebie uh, last time. I thought I'll chuck this in uh, to this session, but you want to go and download this. It's called the Ultimate Guide to Pricing, and it takes you through some really important stuff. A lot of the issues we're talking about here, but also things that like uh, how do you deal with clients who want to negotiate on your fees? Got a whole strategy for that in there. Uh, and also, uh, how do you increase your fees uh, with, with clients? How do you have that conversation? Uh, that's in there as well. So uh, grab your phone maybe and just take a photo of that link uh, or jot it down madly now. It's fpadvance.com forward slash sense forward slash ultimate dash pricing. Uh, and you can go on to uh, click on that link and uh, it'll show you exactly what you need to do. But some really, really high value stuff in there. Okay. Matching price to value. So, so clearly, this is this is uh, this is an important issue after some of the stuff we went through in session one. So, let's uh, let's do this exercise. Whoops, let me just get back to that. Let's do this exercise um, of thinking about where clients believe the value is added. So, so here are the main steps in the advice process. We've got the first meeting with brand new client. Uh, potential client. We've then got the fact finding. Now I'm I'm splitting these two as separate steps. I know a lot of firms will do this as one step. Uh, that's not what we teach or recommend. By the way, uh, doing fact finding in the first meeting sort of ruins the first meeting, in my opinion. But we won't get into that today. That's something else we teach in our courses. But I'm going to split it out anyway. Even if you do it in the first meeting, we'll get you to uh, to think about it separately. There's then preparing all your analysis and, and, and making the recommendations to the client. Uh, then we've got implementation, so filling out the paperwork and making stuff happen. And then we've got the ongoing reviews that you do or you know, the, the annual reviews, uh, the annual servicing you do with clients. So I want you to put yourself in, your, you know, in the client's shoes for a second. So you're a client who comes to see you for a first meeting. Now, I want you to think about your first meetings when they go well. I know we're human, right? So sometimes uh, sometimes meetings go great, other times they don't. But think about the ones that go well. If you do a great first meeting, you're on your game. Um, what score out of 10 will a prospective client give that first meeting? How valuable is it to them uh, out of 10? So I want you to just jot that down. And, and think about why you think it's it's high value or low value. Clients come to see you, it goes well. Do they perceive that this is a high value meeting or a low value meeting or somewhere in between, give it a score. 
Okay, now I'm going to argue that done right, the first meeting is super high value. Remember, the clients walk in thinking they've got a problem with a pension or investments, and by the end, if we've done our job properly, they walk out thinking actually that's not the issue at all. The real issue is, do I have enough to last me for the rest of my days? And that's often the problem we end up solving for people. So done well, I think clients take a lot of value from that first meeting and really rate it highly. Okay. The fact finding, when we then have to collect the hard data, now we may have collected a lot of uh, information by default in that first chat, but we have to go to the client and get some specifics, you know, like their date of birth or their, their mortgage outstanding on their, their home or insurance policy details or whatever. So collecting that hard data, out of 10, how valuable do clients rate that step in the process? Give it a score. How valuable is collecting the hard data? Great, now all of these are debatable, but I'm gonna argue that it's, uh, it's a four out of 10. So remember my, my James Harvey story before where I said, my wife and I wake up one Monday, can't take it anymore, been thinking about it for five years, go and see this advisor, James Harvey, who we know, he does an awesome first meeting, he's very skilled, uh, we loved it, and we commit to doing some work. And then he sends me just one page with a bunch of questions on it that he needs as the fact-finding process. So he's got it down to one page. Now, it's quite a few questions on the page, but it's not overloaded. It's just stuff he needs to know. Um, we nearly didn't go back. It's that painful to complete, okay? And we'd, we'd rung him desperate to get advice. So, so... I don't know about you, but that's the first time I'd been on the end of that process. I've given out millions of fact finders to people and said, mate, you need to fill that in. Um, and we've tried to do that with some empathy. Don't get me wrong, I wasn't oblivious to the fact that it was challenging, but I'll tell you for some people, man, that is a real turnoff. So I'm thinking the fact finding doesn't score that highly with the client. I think they would all accept it needs to be done and they know they need to get you the data, but in terms of fun factor and, and how, how good it feels, I don't think it scores that high. Okay, you then get all the data and you do some analysis and then you go back and you present your recommendations to the client. Out of 10, how valuable do you think the clients think that step is? Jot that down. Okay, so I'm gonna argue that if it's not 10 out of 10, uh, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to argue that again, when it's done well and when we've got it right, most of the time that's a really high value part of the, the process for people. They're dying to find out the answers to their questions. They come in and hopefully they get that from you and walk out going, wow, that was pretty cool. Okay, we've given them the recommendations and we told them what needs to be done to implement. And we say, look, do you, do you want us to put it into action? They say yes. So we fill out all the paperwork and get all the stuff done. How valuable is that? in the mind of the client, out of 10, filling out the paperwork. Jot that down. Okay, I'm gonna argue it's not that valuable. Now, I've had pushback from advisors going, mate, if you, yeah, but if you don't get this right, if you don't implement, the plan means nothing, I get it, but that's not how clients think about it. So, so I get it from our point of view that that's true, but, but filling out the paperwork seems like a reasonably low value task, I think, in the minds of the clients. 
it may be untrue, right? Sometimes it's really complicated what we do. And if we didn't get it right, the downside would be massive. I get it, right? I've been on your side of the table, but I don't think the clients get that. You know, be like my accountant doing all the tax stuff with HMRC. I probably downplay and poo-poo that a little bit. I, you know, I should try doing, doing it myself to appreciate sometimes how much is involved in all that. But it doesn't change the fact that I don't rate it that highly. You can't charge me lots for it, I don't think. Okay, ongoing review. Um, this idea of getting ongoing check-ins from the advisor, how valuable do clients perceive that to be? Okay, all the research I've seen from all over the world says that clients rate the idea of annual reviews as 11 out of 10, like they want it. What they get from their advisor sometimes disappoints them a little bit, but that's a separate issue. But generally speaking, the, you know, the, the review process, keeping things on track, clients really value. So this is just interesting, don't you think, to think about where clients perceive value in the engagement or sales process. Cool. Okay, I want you to just jot down next to each of those how much you charge for each of those different steps. How much do you charge for the first meeting? How much do you charge for the fact finding and then presenting your recommendations and the implementation and ongoing review? Now, I'm going to put up some numbers in a minute and I'm being a tiny bit cheeky, right? This was sort of true uh, with, I'll call it old school firms. Now, sadly, there'll be some firms, I'm sure, who are still doing something like this. And I, I want to try and get you off this because I don't think this really fits. But uh, a lot of you will have moved on from, from this. But Here's how it sort of worked uh, in old school days. You know, we did everything up front for free, the first meeting, collect the data, present the recommendations in the hope that the client would buy something. And that's when we got paid a commission. And even when we went away from commission, that hasn't changed a lot for some firms. So we sort of get, we try and charge everything at implementation and maybe took half a percent per annum. That was sort of typical. Now, I know a lot of firms have moved on from that. But when you look at that, can you see why if you're a client, none of this makes any sense whatsoever? Like where they're perceiving the value and where we were trying to charge, like that charging model, who does that suit? It suits the manufacturers of products. They don't want to pay you any money until you've sold something of theirs. And that worked perfect. It was a distribution model. Okay, but we're not distribution anymore, we're advisors and we work for the client. So, so the world has moved on. So this doesn't make any sense. Okay, what a lot of firms will now do is do the first meeting at no charge. Now I know some firms that do charge for a first meeting, depends on how mature a business you are, how desperate you are for work, but most firms still not charging for the first meeting. I'd happily do the first meeting for free uh, or at our expense, whatever the phrase is. But the minute I've done the first meeting and said, mate, do you want to get a plan? Okay, and I'll say it much better than that in a first meeting. But basically, that's what I'm asking. Are we going to do some business? Do you want me to give you some advice? Until the client signs my terms of business and agrees to pay me, I, I would never say this to the client, but I say this to you. I'm not going to pick up a pen in anger until they've done that. Now, they can think about it after the first meeting. They don't need to make a decision there. But, but if until they've signed that paperwork and said, mate, I'm going to pay you, 
then I'm doing nothing. I'm not writing off to life companies to get valuations. I'm not doing any of that work until I'm going to get paid for the job. So I'll put time into the first meeting. It's going to be great. The client's going to walk out whether they buy or don't buy. They're going to think, wow, that was something pretty cool. But I'm then going to charge for the next two steps. That's what my planning fee is going to cover. So I'm going to charge a planning fee for that. Okay. I'm then going to charge some sort of implementation fee. Now, again, in the financial planning community, 1% plus 1% has been the model for a long time, like 1% of any assets being invested and 1% ongoing. Um, you know, that's, that's changing, isn't it? Because people are starting to question whether the asset-based charging model still is relevant, and we're going to touch on this in this session, uh, so I won't leave you hanging on that. But some firms will charge, uh, you know, uh, that way. Uh, a lot of firms were still charging three plus a half for years and years, probably working with smaller clients, I'm thinking. Uh, once you get into bigger clients, you know, one plus one works pretty well. Um, but other firms are saying, look, you know, we'll charge a flat fee or a, a menu charging model uh, uh, for implementation. And so then we've got ongoing charging, which has been typically half a percent or one percent or something like that, uh, or a flat fee, uh, you know, depending on what your view of the world is. But can you see that that charging in those three places uh, makes at least a bit more sense? We're charging for the second step, which is I'm going to tell you how to live happily ever after. Well, that's worth paying for. I'm going to charge for implementation. I probably can't go too heavy there, otherwise I scare people off. Uh, but the ongoing review, I can probably charge fairly heavy because people perceive it to be high value. Okay, let's look at some pricing strategies uh, and, and let's just talk these through, think these through. Now, this may lead to a bunch of questions at the end, so please do write your questions down as we go. If I haven't addressed it, uh, let's, let's get to it at the end. So here's a bunch of different ways you can charge. Uh, no upfront charge, plan implementation and review type charging, success or value fees, flat fees, hourly rates, subscription or membership model, and percentage of income. So let's, let's look at these individually. So let's look at no upfront charge. So this is sort of the old school model. I'm going to see you, uh, you know, uh, do all the work up front in the hope that you're going to invest some money or do something or buy something and I'll be able to charge you for that fairly heavily because I need to, I've done a lot of work, uh, and then charge you and get you as a client ongoing. And I think there's probably loads of firms who still work that way, okay? Uh, I'll tell you why I don't like that model in a minute, but that's about you. It's, it's, it's not about the client. Okay, um, a variation of that model uh, is the uh, no upfront charge where people are offsetting uh, their fee. So they say, look, I'm going to charge, they quote a planning fee, but they say to the client, but if you decide to go ahead and implement and become a client, I won't charge you for that. Now, I have to be honest, I don't love that model. I don't think it sets up the right relationship with the client. I know people do it, and if it's working for you and you're happy, continue to do it, but I just don't love it. Um, I don't know, it feels a bit a bit cheap and a bit salesy to me, like the planning work has got a ton of value. Now, don't charge a million dollars for the plan, but charge a thousand bucks for the plan or 750 for the plan or two grand for the plan, whatever's appropriate for your clients. Like the planning fee has got to hurt a bit. If it hurts too much, no one wants to do any work with you. So I, I get that it's still a loss leader. Even if we charge quite heavy, it's still a loss leader. 
but I like the idea of clients paying for that engagement, paying for that initial planning work, because there's a lot of work in there, and if they don't go ahead, at least we've covered some costs. So, but this is another variation of, of not charging for the upfront work. So, the issue for me is, um, I just hate the idea of you doing free work up front because that initial phase, as I said, has got real value. So that, that's the reason I'm sort of not, not so keen on it. Let's think about where you add value to people, right? This is a list uh, and there's a second page of this, right? Where, where advisors add value to their clients. Now, you might look down that list and think uh, quite rightly, um, not all advisors do all things on this list. But I would argue that most advisors do most of the things on this list. Okay, so you know, cast your eye down. It's it's helping clients to find their life goals, holding the holding them accountable to that, cash flow modeling, education planning and funding, investment advice, tax planning, budgeting, debt consolidation, risk management. Uh, you know, some of the stuff on the right there, mortgage advice, one-page financial scorecard reporting, social security assistance, aged care planning, blah blah blah. And over the page. Uh, estate planning, you know, maybe career counselling for some people, share options planning if you're working with employees and executives, special needs planning if people have got perhaps, uh, you know, uh, disabled children or relative or something like that. And when you look at that list, like that is a pretty valuable list of stuff, do you, do you not think? And so if you are charging a premium or you want to charge a premium, well, I think it's perfectly appropriate uh, if you're doing a lot of that stuff, don't you? Okay, so the next uh, fee structure is plan implementation and review. So let's look at this. Now this is just what we talked about, the charging in three places before. Uh, you know, we're gonna do the first meeting for free. We're then gonna say, look, uh, if you want me to do a plan, uh, you know, you have to agree to pay me, and then I'm gonna do the fact finding, collect all the data, prepare the analysis, and then come back and show you the recommendation for that plan fee. If you wanna move ahead, I'll then charge you an implementation fee. And then if you wanna become a client ongoing, I'll charge you an ongoing fee. Okay, um, look, here's an example, right? So of, of a way some people have dealt with implementation, if they don't wanna be charging a percentage of assets, you could charge a flat fee for implementation, you could charge an hourly rate for implementation, or you could have a menu, a charging menu. Now, whatever you do, do not copy the numbers on this page. I just made them up. I didn't even ask a client, you know, who does this, what do you charge? I just sat there, stared at the ceiling and wrote these numbers down. So they're not a guide at all about what you could charge for these things. So please, I just want to get that in there. But you get the idea. I just put them in here so you could see, you know, if there's a certain number of policies we're going to deal with or, or pensions we're going to consolidate or something like that, you know, we could come up with a, a menu of charges for implementation. You could just as easily charge by the hour. You could just as easily charge a flat fee. So look, it's just gonna be a flat two grand to do everything. Uh, you could vary that by client, depending on the complexity. But there's just a few different ways that you could charge for implementation. And then the ongoing review fee, again, the, I'm just putting ideas here. A lot of people charging half a percent, a lot of planners charging 1%. Uh, I'm definitely in the 1% camp. I want to charge a premium. Some people finding a mix, charging half plus a, a monthly retainer. 
Some people like that because it gives them the best of both worlds. Um, you know, other people have gone to just pure flat fees, and we're going we're to talk about that in a bit of detail in a second. But the point is, we're going to charge something for that ongoing review service, and really, that's where all the value is in a financial planning business, is it not? You know, that's the income stream that I'm interested in building is that recurring revenue, so I can wake up on the first of January with a million bucks coming, a million pounds coming through the door. That that's Nirvana. Okay, the next fee option is a success or value-based fee. So let me just explain this really quickly. Uh, so there was, uh, I'll call them uh, an aggressive tax planning company I knew when I first came to the UK. I, I wasn't doing anything with them, I just ran into them at a few events. And they would do things like saying to clients, look, you've got this massive tax problem, you're gonna have to pay HMRC a million pounds. Uh, we've got a super aggressive tax strategy that will get rid of that million pounds for you uh, and their fee was 30% of the tax save. Now that would be considered a value-based or a success-based fee. Um, you know, let's, let's put aside the fact that 12 years later HMRC would overturn it, sue you, get your million pounds plus interest and they'd be long gone with your 300 grand. But that's another story, okay, don't get me started. But that's, that's what we're talking about here is the model, is that sort of concept that you've probably come across this in your professional career. Okay, here's an example that might work for you. Um, I've never done this, but I'd be open to the possibility that a job might come up where this is appropriate. Let's say you come across a client who comes to see you and they feel and you, you agree that they've been wrongly assessed for 300 grand of of excess benefits tax on their pension. You know, they've exceeded the lifetime allowance and you look at it and with some skill and some jiggery-pokery, you can make that, you know, be right and they won't pay the tax. You know, you might say to a job like that, look, why don't I charge you maybe 5% or 10% or whatever you think is a reasonable number. And if you uh, have a win, uh, you pay me the fee. If you don't have a win, uh, it's no charge. It's sort of a no, no win, no fee type option, I guess. Uh, I could do that but for for one of those jobs where where I'm not I'm not involved in something that's a bit a bit sleazy or dirty. Do you know what I mean? If this is just me using my knowledge and skill, then I could probably I could probably quote that fee. Whether it's 10%, 5%, 20%, I don't know what the right number is. Uh, that that might be just a personal decision. This is not a fee model you're going to adopt holus bolus for all your clients, is it? It's something that's going to pop up once in a blue moon, but it might be a nice one to have in your kit bag for a specific job. Okay, the next fee charging method is flat fees. And let's have a look at this because this is sort of the industry debate of our times, is it, is it not? So flat fees, um, all this is to me is it's really option two, charging for plan, implementation and review, but instead of charging asset-based fees for some of those, we just charge a flat fee. So our, our fee for doing the plan will be a flat fee. Our planning fee for implementation will be a flat fee, as will our ongoing fee. Now, most of the firms I run across who are doing this, let's make no mistake, they're not cheap. They're flat, but they ain't cheap, okay? And I'm cool with that. Like these are premium financial planning firms. Typically, they're the ones that can do that or new entrants often like this model too. And I, I get that if I was starting up and I was 35, I might well be attracted to this. It feels a bit more 21st century uh, than an asset-based charging model. Okay, I, I, I get that. 
So, but that's all we're talking about is charging in those places some sort of flat fee and how you get to that flat fee, you know, that's, that's, that's a different kettle of fish. Um, without being too cynical, uh, because I do know some of the, the leading proponents of flat fee charging, and I know they're coming with their hearts in the right place. Um, but other firms I've seen copy it, you know, amazingly, their ongoing flat fee is somewhere about 1% of assets under management the client's currently got. Um, I guess that could change in the future if the client adds new assets because it stays flat. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not cheap. It's still a premium pricing model generally when this is done. Does that make sense? Okay, here's the argument for flat fees. So in one of my Uncover Your Business Potential courses, I'm talking with a, a guy, again, a younger guy, a newer business, and we were debating flat fees, asset-based fees. And he said, Brett, the bottom line for me is this, that after spending quite a bit of time at the first meeting, helping the client see how important financial planning is, it feels all wrong to then give them a charging model based on how much money they have to invest. I'm going, mate, I absolutely hear you and I get it. And if that's your view, mate, flat fees are for you. I've got no problem with that. And I really, really understand that, that that's where a lot of people, their hearts are starting to come from that place. And if you believe this passionately, that's the route you need to go. If you're not so sure, or you're, you're, you're an older business and you're happy doing it the way you're doing it, I think that's fine too, to be fair. But I, I really get this point of view. Okay, so let's look at flat fees versus percentage-based fees, because this is the big industry debate. Now, I still think it's horses for courses, and you have to make your own call on this. I don't think you're bad uh, if you're still charging percentage-based fees. So Alan Smith is probably the leading proponent of the flat fee model. He's been very uh, high profile and outspoken. And what I've heard, and I love Alan Smith, I know Alan personally, great guy, runs an awesome business, capital asset management. Um, what I know from hearing around the traps is the fact that they're doing lots of PR sort of, um, I'll call it wedge marketing, right? Sort of slagging off the rest of the industry for not copying flat fees. They're picking up bucket loads of work from clients who are going, yeah, man, I hate asset-based fees and they're coming to Alan Smith. Brilliant, great piece of marketing, love it. Great piece of positioning. So really working for him. But let me throw this in. Now I can't name this firm, but if I did, you would know them. They're a leading financial planning firm and they're, they're working with clients. They're, they're, their typical client has got one to five million of assets invested with them, right? They're not working in a lowbrow market at all. And they took this option of going to flat fees to their client advisory board because they're very client centric, right? Their client advisory board said unequivocally, no, we like the percentage-based charging model. Go figure. And I think part of it was they felt the advisors had some skin in the game, you know, rightly or wrongly. They felt the advisors had some skin in the game. If markets fall, they hurt a bit like the client hurts a bit. I think that was the bottom line. So what does this mean? Alan Smith's charging flat fees and carving it up. This other firm who aren't charging flat fees, they're still charging percentage-based fees. I'm telling you, they're carving it up. Like this firm brings in like, over a hundred million a year of new assets, right? They're not, they're not doing it tough. So what does all this mean? I think it means that it's just horses for courses. What do you, what do you prefer? If you're ambivalent, you know, pick one or t'other. 
if you're passionate about one or t'other, then run with that. You know, if you can, if you believe strongly that flat fees is the way to go, then go that way. Um, but if not, I'm going to give you more information in a minute uh, about when it may may be appropriate. So, presentation I went to at a conference in the US from this company, Simon Kutcher and Partners, uh, and and they have a specialist pricing division. This consulting firm, uh, and the guy who spoke uh, gave a, a fantastic talk of of the eight different models they saw in the in the marketplace. Now, it was a great talk, but to be honest, we get to the end and the conclusion is this, and I'm paraphrasing, that uh, if you work in the at retirement or in retirement space, the percentage-based charging method still works really well because it's sort of like smorgasbord or buffet pricing. You pay that one fee and you get it all. And at retirement, where clients are going to draw on a lot of your skills and have some big wins as a result, it still works really well as a way to charge. Where it doesn't work so well is with younger accumulation clients that are coming through, they want a completely different service. Like that's the short version of what was a really interesting presentation. So, so again, if you're deciding that you are gonna work with younger clients, but you, the core of your business is at retirement, we might be charging percentage of assets up here and charging completely differently down here. Nothing wrong with that. Right, that's about giving the people what they want in a way that they want it. So think about the different client segments that you serve and create a package of services and a pricing approach that works for them and clearly and works for you. Okay, and that, that was sort of one of the questions I think from the first session and hopefully this is just giving this a little bit more colour uh, and if it hasn't, make sure you ask me some questions at the end. Okay. Let me give you the argument for percentage-based fees, okay? And, and this is one I can talk about because I've grown up in this, this environment. I've been doing that for 30 years. A lot of the advisor angst about charging percentage-based fees, I think comes back to they don't understand where they add value because if they understood where they added value, they wouldn't have so much angst about this model. Now, I've done this exercise, right? One of the modules that we teach in our courses is about value added. Where do you add value in hard, cold cash to clients? So think about when you do an IHT strategy for client, you might save them 400 grand. Or when you rebalance their portfolio every year to use up their capital gains tax allowance, that might save them a grand or two every year for the lifetime of your relationship. What if you move them from an expensive, uh, high cost investment proposition to a, a low cost proposition that saves them half a percent, one percent per annum? What's that worth in future dollars? I mean, it's a fortune, right? You know this. So most advisors who are doing the genuine financial planning model, and that's the proviso, so they're doing the holistic service with cash flows, the whole box and dice, they're putting back in the client's pocket a multiple of their fees, even at 1% per annum. So, so I don't buy that it's an evil way to charge people, right? I just, I just don't, don't wear that. Uh, the other thing we hear is that clients who've got a million pounds are not twice as hard to look after if people have got half a million pounds. I get it, uh, but we add twice as much value, don't we? If I save them 20 bips on a million pound investment portfolio, that's twice as much money as if I save them 20 bips on a half a million pound portfolio. Or if I save them CGT on disposal of half a million and CGT on disposal of a million, 
you know what I mean? It's twice the value. It's not twice the time, but there is more work in bigger clients, right? It's not double the work, but there's more. So, so I don't know, I can still make peace with that uh, in my head. And again, the client's still having a win. Um, what I like about the asset-based model is my fees will grow faster than inflation. Uh, I know in times like this, they might also fall uh, every so often, every seven years, eight years, 10 years, we'll have a big drop uh, and you'll have to suffer through that. Um, but generally speaking, over time, your fees rise faster than inflation. That's a great business model. So think about this. Um, if you're charging uh, asset-based recurring revenue, so say the 1% per annum model, this is your revenue on the left. And the target for firms to aim for is a 25% of revenue net profit margin after you get paid full whack salary, right, for your day job. So if you're an advisor in your firm, you get paid for being an advisor but the firm, if you own it, still makes a 25% net profit margin on top. Firms can do that, right, if they get their act together. So you're doing, you're cruising along doing that. And then we have a 50% fall in the stock market. Now that doesn't mean a 50% fall in your recurring revenue, does it? Because everyone's in balanced funds. So their funds fall 23% and so does your revenue. And in fairness, yeah, that hurts a bit, but if you're making a 25% net profit margin, all that happens is your net profit margin goes to 2% or zero for a year or two while the market's down and when it recovers, you go back to 25% margin. Now, if you're not making that margin and this happens, yeah, that's gonna hurt. If your margin's sort of zero after you get paid, you're gonna take a 20% pay cut and that's not so much fun. So, so I get that argument, but if your firm's well run, you've been able to get yourself to that profit margin, then I've got no problem with that model. So I think there's just pros and cons to both. Uh, we could debate it all day and never agree, okay? You've got to go, I think, with what you think in your head and your heart is the right way for you to be charging. And I do accept the market is moving away from percentage-based fees, probably towards flat fees, but that hasn't run its course yet. And if you've got an older business with older clients, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought you would have to go and change that. That's just my view. You know, at the end of the day, doesn't matter how, how you charge, the client's gonna work it out in pounds and pence, and they just wanna know that they're having a win and that you're good value. And you can help them see that uh, with the way you communicate your value. So which way do you prefer uh, to charge? That's, that's the key answer. Okay, uh, we could also charge hourly rates. I'll fly through this one, uh, very boring. Okay, as a client, I'm not a fan of hourly rates. I hate paying hourly rates to lawyers and accountants. So when I hear uh, from some of them that the only professional way to charge is hourly rates, I'm thinking, mate, don't even, don't even get me started. Right? I hate paying you those fees. I always imagine my accountants a little bit shit in the back office like everyone else is, and so that I somehow end up paying for that. That may be completely untrue, right? My accountant's a great guy, they're a great firm. Probably that isn't the case, but I can't help thinking it. So I, I don't really love hourly rates. And to be fair, even my accountant mostly today doesn't quote me hourly rates. He just quotes me a fee for the job and that's what we end up paying. So don't love it. Um, truth is uh, it's good for some jobs once in a blue moon like success fees. Um, best exponent of uh, the hourly rate model is the Garrett Planning Network, I think in the US. Uh, and they've built a scaled and, and whole business on just charging people hourly rates uh, for their work. Uh, and so if you want a model and you like that, uh, go and check them out. Okay, 
The next one is the subscription or membership model. So uh, here's now, here's the video that I, I can't play for you because I haven't embedded it in the presentation, but I think the link, the link is in uh, the chat. Now go and watch it later. But basically Dollar Shave Club started, I don't know, it's probably 10 years ago now. And uh, the idea was that they turned, um, uh, you know, forgetting to buy a new razor into a service. They turned a product into a service. There's lots of this stuff. I'll show you some more in a minute. But basically for a dollar a month, they would just send you a new, a new razor every month for a dollar. And they turned it into a subscription model. Now, seven years after they launched, and if you watch this video, it's hilarious, by the way, great marketing. Um, but seven years after they launched, they sold out to Unilever for a billion dollars, right? This was a very, very good idea, okay? But they've just turned a service into a product. That's all that's happened. Okay, here's another one uh, that you may have seen, Rent the Runway. Now, this, uh, this is basically you pay a monthly subscription. I think, at the, I think now it's probably up to like 150, 160 US a month. But basically on the premium model of 160 a month, you can have up to three uh, designer label dresses and a few accessories and stuff in your possession to wear to work, to wear to the Oscars or whatever you want to do. So if you want to be fashion forward, um, you can basically rent high-end fashion. Now you think of the price of some of these dresses, like they could be a couple of grand each or, or, or you know, uh, 500, 1,000, 2,000 pounds for designer, designer wear dresses. Uh, if you're someone who wants to look great, uh, you know, and you wear these items, then this is an amazing service, right? They've turned, turned it from ownership into a service model. Uh, I saw in Selfridges, I think they offer a similar service now. There's a section in the store uh, where you can basically just be renting um, high-end fashion. Uh, so that's got lots of, lots, I would have thought, lots to take up. And this is my personal favorite, uh, Moss of the Month Club. Okay, now just think about it, this is genius. Why would you want to own your own Moss when you could just rent it? Yeah, I don't know either, but anyway, I just saw it in there, I thought it was great. So, membership and subscription style, style services are already up and running in financial services mostly in the US, I'm starting to see some of this stuff start to happen in the UK. But here's a great example, Fiscal Fitness Clubs of America. So the lady that started this, Carol Craigie, she worked for JP Morgan and some other big banks, and she begged them to set up a financial planning model for the middle and mass market in the US, and they wouldn't. So she went and did it herself with this. Basically, you pay 59 bucks a month, you can go online every month uh, in a group of 10 or 15 people and they'll coach you and teach you about financial stuff like budgeting, wills, paying off credit card debt and blah, blah, blah. If you join with a friend, you get a discount and their goal is to become the Weight Watchers of Finance. And I love this as a business model. I'm, I'm thinking this has got legs, but it's not aimed at high net worth people. You know, our industry at the moment serves the top, what, 9% of the population you know, I, I think there's a lot of room to run down here in the mass market space. Uh, another one, REN Financial Planning in the US works with young physicians and dentists, and that's a, a subscription model. Uh, and again, that makes sense, I think, working with younger professionals uh, who'll have lots of, lots of um, upside. Uh, Grove Financial Planning, uh, they're another one. I, I, 
I'm not sure if these guys have sold out or been bought by someone and it's changed a bit, but this was the, the initial, initial model that you can get a checkup with a certified financial planner. So it wasn't with dummies. Uh, they'll give you, you know, a personalized investment portfolio, an action plan, uh, and they say down the bottom right here that they act as a fiduciary. So they're, they're working solely for the benefit of the client. They say that up front. This is pretty attractive uh, for only 600 bucks a year to be a member. Okay, so you, you get, you know, a basic plan and whatever for 600 bucks. They compare it in their marketing to what else you could spend 600 bucks on. Uh, you know, your Starbucks coffee for a year, your Soul Cycle class or, or whatever else. I don't even know what these other things are. I'm obviously too old, um, but there you go. Okay, they compare it also to traditional advisors. Now, this is a great comparison and great marketing for them. I think it's a little bit disingenuous as well because I, I, I think there's more to this, but uh, you can imagine that there's a bucket load of people out there going to look at that and think, wow, that's great. I'll have a bit of that, thanks. Now, when you dig deeper on a lot of these subscription models, right, the, the subscription is the starting point only. You get a basic service for that. If you want some of the extras that start to bring you up into financial planning as we know it, um, they might charge for that using hourly rates, flat fees, or basis points even on the investing. Okay, why do they do that? Because it costs money to deliver a, a high-end financial planning service, okay? but they will be charging extras for, for some of those other things. Same with Dollar Shave Club, for a buck a month, I'll get a razor, but I bet they market to me and say, mate, do you wanna buy some shave foam with that? That's six bucks a month. You know, Do you want something else with that? That's 12 bucks a month. And they upsell from the basic service. But I like this, this is a way of connecting with more people and then just funneling and filtering down, you'll probably still end up with a, a premium cohort of people 10 years down the track where most of your money comes from. I think this is interesting. Okay, um, this last one, uh, this guy spoke, I think, at Paul Armson's conference uh, this year, the Back to Why. Uh, I read about it in Bob Veris's newsletter. But um, here's a firm in Brazil called uh, Life uh, Financial, Life Financial Planning. And the founder said that he decided from day one that we were in the trust business, right, not in the money business. And so they'll work with absolutely anyone and they don't build the client on the assets, but they use a close with clients that they call the bet. So let me take you through this. So they're charging the client that wants to proceed 5% of the income of both spouses, regardless of income level. But basically this is how they frame it. I'll just read it quickly. Today, you've got 100% of all your income to live on. This is what they're saying to the client. And you're leading the life that you're leading. If you walk away from here, you'll continue to have 100% continue of your income and you'll continue to lead the life you're leading. That's one possible future for you. But let's imagine another possible future where you're living on 95% of your total income. You work with us for three to four months on 95% of your income. You have a chance during that period to realize whether our services are worth retaining or not. Let's say that within four months, you come to realize that this is not working, it's not for you, you go back to 100% of your income and the life that you were leading before. But perhaps in those four months, it did work for you. What if you're living on 95% of your previous income and your perception of your life changes? You're feeling better, you have less anxiety, you have more clarity, you feel safer, and you and your spouse can have better conversations about your finances. Would you continue to work with us if that happens? And they're saying, basically, why don't you give it a go? 
So when they make that offer, they encourage the client to go and speak to other advisors, often at the bank in Brazil. Uh, you can imagine that that's bloody awful and then they come back. But they want, to, want the client to have a perspective before they actually sign up, okay? They've made it safe and easy to get in and get out. Um, three out of seven clients cancel in the first six months, but then the retention rate's 80%. And you can see here some of the numbers. They've got 4,600 clients serviced by 60 advisors, and their average fee that the client's paying apparently is about 180 pounds a month. That's an interesting model, don't you think? An interesting pricing approach. You know, in the US, we've got places like Vanguard and Charles Schwab moving into retail advice. It's a mix of robo and human, what we call cyborg advice. Uh, it's relatively cheap. It's not financial planning as you and I know it, but again, it's an entry level service that suits a lot of people. I think when you go through all these models and look at the way people are doing it, I think the message I wanna get across to you is you do not need to look like everyone else particularly if you're trying to do something new and interesting in the, in the financial planning market. It's a bog standard service. Look, you may end up charging bog standard the same way everyone else does, but you don't need to buy into that. I must be the same as everyone else. You can go out on a limb if you, if you want to, if that's allowable in your model. The variations in fees for me should be driven by the target clients that you're seeking to serve. To find out more about how Sense can help your advisory firm, go to sense-network.co.uk. Thanks for listening.